0: Thank <music> you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we talk with leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and our guest on this episode is Amanda Krauss, the new CEO at US Rowing, the national governing body for the sport. We'll be talking about the future of rowing and the efforts to attract a wider, more diverse participation and membership, Krauss's plans for the growth of the organization, and her thoughts on the relationship the NGB plans to have with potential host cities. As Reminder, the Sports Travel Podcast can be found at sportstravelmagazine.com, where we have daily updates on the sports event industry, and you can subscribe on all major podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. Feel free to leave us a review and let us know what you think of our episodes. But before we begin, here's a word from the sponsor of this episode, Columbia SC Sports. Columbia, South Carolina is open for sports. From fitness competitions to cornhole, cheer and dance, to fishing and track, South Carolina's capital city has been safely hosting a variety of sporting events throughout the pandemic. Columbia has a sunny climate that supports year-round outdoor activities and is a drivable southern city with three major interstates leading right to the heart of South Carolina. With facilities and hotels dedicated to following CDC guidelines and a citywide mask ordinance in place, hotels and facilities are open and ready to welcome you safely. Find out more at ColumbiaSCSports.com. And now, on to the conversation. Some 18 years ago, Amanda Krause founded Row New York, a non based in New York City with a focus on making the sport of rowing paired with high-level academic support accessible to young people. Now, it started with $5 in a bank account turned into a $5 million operation under her watch, and now she's taking on a new challenge, being named last year as the CEO of U.S. Rowing, the sport's national governing body. Uh, U.S. Rowing is facing many of the same challenges that other NGBs are facing, namely the need to raise money for its programs, uh, an unknown events landscape in 2021, and the need to field a team for the Olympic and Paralympic Summer Games coming up in Tokyo. And along the way, there are questions about how to grow membership and support the members already in the fold. In this conversation, we talk with Krauss about all those challenges, her approach to the job, and what the future may hold for cities looking to host the NGB's events in the future. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Amanda Krause, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It is, uh, it's great to connect with you. Obviously, uh, we are going to talk a lot about rowing today, specifically U.S. rowing, the national governing body in the sport. I'd like to talk about your your background as well, coming from a, a nonprofit called Row New York, which uh, sounds like it's done incredible work. But before we even get into all of that, Amanda, why don't we start with, with your background in the sport? You've obviously had a, a, a career in rowing. What was your introduction? How did you even get started in the sport?
1: yeah uh, that's a fun question. i I had never been a rower before college, and i was a I was a sort of mediocre but enthusiastic basketball player. I'm six one, so you know there were a mm-hmm. lot of expectations there. And I was a pretty serious runner, cross country, and long distance runner uh, track in high school. So when I started college, I had no intentions of becoming a rower, but being a tall, person Walking through campus, you know, the coaches back in the day would say, Hey, have you thought about rowing? So,
0: right, they uh, find you,
1: yeah, yeah. And I said, I hadn't, but went down to the boathouse and, you know, gave it a try. And uh, as I say, the rest is history,
0: right? Well, uh, I saw in your bio, you uh, wasn't just didn't just give it a try, you won a, a division two national championship while you were in college.
1: Right. That came later on. Um, you know, the first time I'll never forget the first couple months of rowing being a novice rower. I rode at UMass Amherst and beautiful up there. And I remember the probably the third or fourth row walking back to the bus that was taking us back to campus. And one of the varsity men said, Oh, Hey novice, you know, how was, how was your row? And I said, I, I guess it was good. You know, basically we spent the whole practice just learning how to carry the boat and how to get in the boat and how to maybe make it move a little bit, and and then he asked, "Did you go fast?" And I remember thinking, <laughs> "Oh, is that actually one of the goals?" I I had missed that part. So you know, I I said, "Oh, I don't know." So, but then yeah, then I became you know obviously very committed to the sport and and made incredible friends and really learned so many wonderful lessons through. Being, being a member of that team and, and a part of the sport.
0: Well, it's one of the strong uh, aspects, I think, about rowing as well when I think about the sport or just uh, you know, the lessons you can learn uh, across the board, whether it's uh, individually or in a team effort. It seems to be one of those sports that has a, a deeper calling.
1: For sure. And it doesn't speak, you know, in, in running row New York here in New York City for all these years, I would always say to people, especially parents, you know, it either, it either speaks to you or it doesn't. A lot of people start and they, they think, oh, I'm not not so into this, this is really hard, and I'm not drawn to this, or people get pretty hooked. And so there's, there's not a ton of middle ground. I think it speaks to people or it doesn't.
0: Well, let's talk about the uh, Row New York. We mentioned this organization that you were with for quite a long time. I, I noticed in the press release announcing your hire at U.S. rowing it said that you started that program with $5 in a bank account and a uh, basically a book about nonprofits. And when you left, it was somehow a $5 million operation. So walk me through a bit of that journey, kind of what, what the organization was and what you were doing there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I do maintain that sometimes it's good not to know what you're getting yourself into because then maybe you wouldn't have done it. But, you know, I had worked for community rowing in Boston after college and while I was in graduate school. And I really was so inspired there by this group of girls I was working with from under-resourced communities in Boston, but I'm originally from New York. So, uh, when I finished graduate school and my, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, but, you know, I had said, Lord, I don't want to stay in Boston. I never planned to like spend my life in Boston, even though it was, it was a great place to live. I, I want to go back to New York City and my family's there. And uh, so we came, we came to New York together. And he is actually the one he's a rower too. And he had said, Why don't you start the same thing in New York City that you that you were working for in Boston? And I said, Well, that's like, probably the worst idea I've ever heard. Because where would we row and I don't I wouldn't know how to start an organization. I don't know how to run one. I don't know how to raise money. I don't know how to you know, it's amazing how you can go through undergrad, graduate school and and still know so little. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I, we did start with $5 and a book about nonprofits and bank borrowing, not stealing, but to get equipment to get started. So it was a very modest beginning.
0: Right. And Amanda, for those who are not familiar with the organization, what was its purpose and what were you, what were you doing there?
1: Well, the purpose was and still is to bring the sport of competitive rowing combined with comprehensive academic support to young people in New York City, who for the most part wouldn't otherwise have access to the sport. So Mm -hmm. we work mostly with young people of color in New York City, 80% participate for free, the other 20% can come from anywhere in New York City, any background, and they, their families pay for them to participate. So it's a very socioeconomically also diverse group of kids who all row and compete together.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible goal, especially for the sport, and uh, something I imagine that's going to filter into your work at at U.S. Rowing. Um, So maybe we'll transition a little bit into that. Uh, I would imagine, Amanda, just by nature of of your work uh, for so long at Row New York, you must have been uh, familiar or had come into contact with U.S. Rowing during all of that time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's the governing body, so I did. But I, I was at the same time, I was very much a blinders-on person, executive director at Row New York. So I really stayed focused on raising that organization, right, and and mm-hmm. doing everything I could for it in terms of fundraising and programming, and and so I didn't have a, any sort of deep connection to US Rowing.
0: Right. So what was the uh, what was the appeal when you saw that they were looking for? an executive director you'd obviously had a tremendous success at your at your nonprofit but what uh what about this world of the national governing body appealed to you or or made you want to apply
1: well i had been at i've been at new york for 18 years and i i there wasn't much i hadn't seen at that point
0: mm-hmm.
1: which i think is is good for the organization to have someone in that role you know it's it's sort of different versions of the same challenges over and over again yeah I think I was getting to a point where I was realizing I didn't actually, I didn't start row New York so that I could run it forever. I started row New York because I wanted it to exist and I loved running it and I loved being a part of it. And, but this was a new set of challenges right at U S rowing. And this was, this was all so much stuff. I, I, not only could I not do it in my sleep, but I mean, every day I'm finding myself, Thinking, I don't have the answer to that, and that's new, uh, but that's fun too. I, I like puzzles, right? Like we humans—I mean, not, maybe not all of us—but there's a reason we like crossword puzzles, right? And we like sure. challenges, and that keeps things interesting. And and I thought, well. I certainly learned a lot at Roan New York, and I'm a big believer in there are going to be plenty of things I don't have the answers to, but I guarantee there are other people who do have the answers, and I'm good at finding those people and, and learning from them. So that's what I've been trying to do here.
0: Well, it seems like a great approach. I know, Amanda, that you've been on uh, somewhat of a listening tour, listening to all the various stakeholders in the sport. So what are you hearing out there? What does the, uh, what's the state of the sport or at least of the, of the national governing body at this point?
1: Mm. <laughs> um
0: probably hearing um, a lot of the uh, everything from depending, depending yeah, on who you're I talking think, to
1: i think well it's i'm only laughing um about this because i'm hearing a lot and i think it depends on you know there are just so many different stakeholders so and there isn't always alignment on what you're hearing in terms of feedback from from one group right um sure but there are some consistent messages and that's what I'm always looking for. Like, what are you hearing again and again and again? And I think what I'm hearing consistently is not surprisingly a lot of passion for the sport, right? I'm hearing a lot of struggle around COVID, which is not surprising. So yeah, that's its own piece, right? Is how do we navigate through COVID for, for the clubs and the individual rowers and, the national team athletes, and it's incredibly complicated and difficult. And I have, you know, endless appreciation for, for how challenging that is. But separate from COVID, I think what I'm hearing is people in general want more support from U.S. rowing. They want more value. and And I think they're right to want that. And I think, you know, people want more help with coaching education. They want more help with resources and how do we centralize resources for clubs or individual rowers, or how do we, how do we know what's going on in terms of information and communications and transparency? And so all these things in my mind are very doable and I'm getting a, a really good understanding of also why we haven't been able to do these things. And, and then how do we shift that, right? So that we can bring this value to members and, and member organizations, individual members, et cetera.
0: Yeah, well, one area that I would imagine you've become strong at just by nature of your your background at the nonprofit would be fundraising. And uh, as you know, that's a that's an issue for pretty much every national governing body from the from the largest ones down to the smallest ones is, uh, you know, that constant struggle to uh, to get the funding to do everything that that you want to do. Do you uh, do you imagine, Amanda, that that's going to be a particular strength of yours moving ahead here, looking at uh, whatever the financial challenges may be for obviously for U.S. rowing specifically?
1: Yeah, that's a strength. That that definitely is. I mean, that's. Uh, I have a deep history background in fundraising, and I'm really looking forward to implementing that here. There hasn't been a fundraising effort or arm or engine here at US Rowing. I don't know if ever, um, but certainly not in the you know the last decade or, or so. And I'm looking forward to there's there's some shifts happening in terms of the National Rowing Foundation starting to do the work with us rowing and working really together to raise significant funds for not just the national team, but for diversity, equity, inclusion, rowing, coaching, education, to really build up the philanthropic arm of the organization. And I think that that's, that's going to go well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that, that piece.
0: Of course, one of the other key areas for all the national gov- governing bodies comes down to sponsorships. It's always interesting to me too on the on the surface, and I think U.S. Rowing, you know, is included here when we talk about national governing bodies. There's always so many incredible stories to tell. At least when we talk about the national team and you know some of the more high profile athletes, it's always seemed to me that those would be stories that brands would would just want to be around, even if they weren't you know endemic to the to the rowing industry. And I would I would imagine rowings, uh, you know, in, in that. Same category as a lot of other sports. You've got uh, some incredible athletes and, uh, you know, incredible stories to tell that you would imagine, you know, there could always be more to be done there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's new territory for me. And for us as an organization, I think we've dipped our toes into it before. But I think the reality is, is that you need to staff up, right? And you need to get the right team, the right consultants, the right resources in place to really activate whatever it is you're doing in terms of fundraising, whether it's government funds, and grants, or individuals or events, sponsorships, you can't just sort of, you know, say, well, we're this, we're this great brand, and who doesn't want to be associated with us? There's really, there's all this sort of, I don't want to call it tedious, but you know, you got to get your ducks in a row and you have to spend some money and put the, put the people in place to actually activate this support. I don't, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, but I think there's a ton of potential there. And we're really, we're right now, you know, made some key hires on that front, marketing, communications, you know, getting a consultant on board to help with strategy so that we can really market rowing and rowers and the sport to brands that, that we think would, would love to be aligned with us.
0: Right. You mentioned uh, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. That's an issue across all sports right now. I think uh, I would imagine it's a particular one in rowing. I think, you know, Amanda, fair or not? I think perception for many people of, of rowing it may be a, a lack of diversity. Well, that's fair. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> over time, you dealt with this at your nonprofit. What are your thoughts here about broadening the base here or, uh, you know, changing the perception perhaps of of your particular sport moving forward?
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a perception. I think it's reality. Right. And we need to start by owning that and not saying like, it might seem this way to people because it's not a seam it is. Um, And so we're already, you know, full speed ahead on that front. We have a DEI committee, a standing committee of 17 people from around the country that are working with me on this. And we're hiring a full time head of DEI for the organization and really you know it's one of my three priorities for the for year 1 is to really help change the face of rowing to make our boat houses more diverse and more inclusive and that's not going to you know just happen because we want it to right there's work to be done and to open up the doors of the sport and for too long i think you know people in this country who aren't white to be frank who you know aren't coming from affluent communities don't see themselves in the sport and and that's a barrier for entry right if they're if you can't Mm -hmm. see what you can't you can't be what you can't see so you know that's something we need to work on and we need to bring in people of color who have been involved in the sport and help them get the word out we need to help clubs around the country collegiate programs around the country figure out what is You know what? What can they do to help diversify their own programs and not just bring people in the door, but how do you keep them there, right? And it's it's all harder. You know, it's easier said than done, but it's doable. And so that's a piece I'm really excited about as well. And I think, frankly, it's short sighted when people say, "Oh, well, are are you going to lose focus on the national team because you're doing this DEI work?" and That has come up, to be honest, and and I have to stop myself from getting defensive because I will say, no, not only is it going to not take away from the success of the national team in the long term, it will only add to the success of the national team because as we diversify as a sport, we're only going to get better and faster, and we're missing a whole swath of talent in my mind if we're just continuing to look in all the same places.
0: You are listening to the Sports Travel Podcast. Before we continue, here's a word from the sponsor of this episode Columbia SC Sports. Columbia, South Carolina is open for sports, from fitness competitions to cornhole, cheer and dance to fishing and track. South Carolina's capital city has been safely hosting a variety of sporting events throughout the pandemic. Columbia has a sunny climate that supports year-round outdoor activities and is a drivable southern city with three major interstates leading right to the heart of South Carolina. With facilities and hotels dedicated to following CDC guidelines and a citywide mask ordinance in place. Hotels and facilities are open and ready to welcome you safely. Find out more at ColumbiaSCSports.com. And now, back to the conversation. Yeah, well, you bring up an interesting point that I was going to ask you about. Anyway, I think every national governing body, just by nature, of what they do struggles with this issue of how much attention and resources to put on the national teams, you know, the, the high profile ones that people see at the Olympics every four years, yeah. or the Paralympics versus, you know, the other missions and goals that you have to grow the sport, you know, and, and all those boathouses, uh, in your case, all across the country. Has that balance become evident to you as, uh, as you've taken on uh, this role here the last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think coming into US rowing, one thing I realized right away is there's this sort of tension between the two sides, right? Like national team versus all the other programs and coaching education and adaptive rowing. And, you know, there are people, different stakeholders who have eggs in one basket versus another, or they're interested in one piece versus another. And I see it as they're not mutually exclusive. And and I'm trying to just sort of be the good parent for lack of a better description. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can have kids with different needs and different desires and different skill sets and you do not choose one over the other. You say, I'm going Mm -hmm. to support all of you and build you up and get you what you need. And it's going to look different for each of you, but they're not mutually exclusive. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing that I'm bringing to the table, and that I'm not—I I, I do not have—I'm not—I don't have any favorites. They're all important.
0: Well, let me ask you while we're on the topic of of the national team, we as we're having this conversation, uh, you know, there continue to be uh, uh, talks and 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 stories just about what the Olympics and Paralympics are going to look like, or even if they're going to move forward. Although it certainly seems as if things will move forward. Is that your is that your sense as well, Amanda? I know you're just one voice of uh, of many, but are you? as an organization, at least preparing with the notion that uh, there will be an Olympic and Paralympic Games this summer?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we absolutely are. Until or unless we're told otherwise. And we've had nothing, you know, it's funny. If you open up the New York Times and there's this article, you know, stating that Tokyo might not happen. And then yeah. you hear from the IOC, please do not listen to this press. <laughs> we have no reason to, to say otherwise. Tokyo will be happening. So I just think the best path forward is keep moving and less told otherwise we need to, we need to move as if this is, this were happening. And I think it, I was going to say, what do I know? But my, hopefully I know more than the average person, but uh, I,
0: would, I would say so. You're in the loop now, Amanda.
1: <laughs> what do I know? But I do think that, you know, Tokyo, I think that the IOC, I think obviously USOPC, I think everyone, NBC, everyone, is really committed to doing everything possible to make sure that the games take place. And there I wouldn't be surprised if they look very different in terms of maybe it will just be the athletes and the coaches. Yeah, But I also think we have a new administration. And, you know, to be frank, it was, you know, what was the quote? It was a terrible time to have a terrible leader. And I apologize if you're a mm-hmm. reporter, but frankly... <laughs> I think um, we're
0: we're all neutral in hosting the uh, sports travel podcast, but you're uh, absolutely entitled to your, (laughs) to your opinion and take on it.
1: Um, Yeah. And you know, I'm not going to be neutral on that because I think, I, I think that was a disaster of a response to a global pandemic for this country. And, and my point is I have hope with a new administration that, that, you know, the rollout of the vaccines and the response will help us, Get to a better place by July.
0: Yeah. Well, to your point, it's obviously been the look, it's been the most challenging point uh in many industries history but the sport event and sports event industry is certainly among them uh, you know the 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 last year and we're still seeing it and i mean u.s rowing has its olympic trials still to come here i know in february in sarasota you've got your paralympic trials in april in new jersey what uh what are those discussions like for you right now and your team to make those (laughs) events safe for your athletes
1: those discussions are dizzying (laughs) um i mean I was I was saying to someone on our team I was on one of the calls just last night with the medical committee obviously offering adding zero value but you know listening and and I emailed someone on our team saying listen this this is like a GRE question like the logic section of the GRE section of uh, the GRE you know like if Sue yeah. tests negative and she has lunch with Sally at the course and she spent 14 minutes with her can Sally race on Sunday, you know, because it's all about content. It's not just, do you test positive for COVID when you're at trials? It's, you know, are you being contact traced back to somebody you were exposed to all, sure. you know, and the stakes, I don't need to tell you are, are so high. These, these people, these athletes have trained for years. Right. And now they have to, they have to manage this too. It's just it's unbelievably complicated, and you know we're working with these these doctors, and then add on the layer the USOPC, and the, I, I believe these are their first trials, first Olympic trials are going to be. Really yeah, I was happening.
0: going to say it has to be Im- certainly among the first, if not the yeah, first. Yeah,
1: I think it's the first, but I don't. You know, I could be wrong about that. But so it's it's incredibly complicated. And I I really feel for the athletes because, you know, it's got to be hard enough, right? Much less adding this layer of of COVID to it all. So we're just doing everything we can to test and protect folks and take all the precautions that we can.
0: Well, it's got to be challenging for your staff as well. I mean, outside of the trials, uh, you know, getting back to the rest of your uh, stakeholders, I know you've got, you know, a calendar of events through the end of the year, you know, at, at your various levels are at this point, do you have a confidence level that you'll be able to have those events that are still remaining even on your calendar this year?
1: We're going to try to, but you know, it's like a moving target. I, you know, we're, we're setting the plan for like youth nationals and, um, you know, the, the, we just have such a patchwork too, in terms of the response around the country thinking about different States being open at different levels. And, you know, I, my own kids play soccer and they're, you know, they're allowed to play outside with masks and they have to stay like three feet apart. And, and then I talk to people in different parts of the country who are, have kids like going to indoor wrestling matches with no masks. And so we're sort of all (laughs) over the place. So it's, it's, it's been very difficult to navigate, but to, to answer your question, you know, I think we'll have to see, we have to see what's happening in terms of the vaccine and are the numbers still going up? Are they steady? Can we hold a safe regatta? You know, they had the European championships successfully. So we're going to, we're going to try is a short answer, but yeah. I don't think in, this is a world we're living in with no guarantees of activity, right? We all know that since last March.
0: For sure. And I, obviously you're not alone uh, in the sport of rowing. That's uh, you know a concern that I think is across the board whether we're talking about Olympic sports or, or just about any level at this point with all that unknown. But, you know, Amanda, when we talk about events, and you may not uh, have had a chance even, you know, with all of your meetings to even necessarily think about this aspect of it, but there have been a number of cities uh, across the country that have invested, you know, in, in rowing uh, the last couple of years. Oklahoma City comes to mind uh, with what they've done in their boathouse district. You know, we're familiar with Nathan Benderson Park in Sarasota, which is you has know, hosted the World Championships and, and, and other events, including yours, uh, your big one coming up, but have you had a chance to think at all about what the organization's relationship uh, will be under your watch with these potential host cities and venues that are that remain interested in hosting rowing events?
1: Yeah, I have thought about it. And we actually have a meeting about it in a couple of weeks to really talk about this with the with the team here because it is top of mind for me is really understanding exactly what you're talking about. These venues that have put significant resources in and they're eager to be hosts, and I don't have an answer yet for what that will look like. But but I but I do know we have to get there, right? Because you know I don't want us to be wishy washy or we're not sure. Or we need to get really clear on where we're hosting things and why. And but no, we're not. I'm not there yet. I'm I'm still catching up on that front.
0: Yeah, well, those decisions uh, hopefully will be uh, easier once we're past the pandemic phase. At least you, you've yeah, picked an interesting hard. time in history to uh, to become a national governing body CEO. Uh, that is for sure. But have you been doing this whole job remotely at this point, Amanda? Have you?
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I, I like barely leave my basement, and and I I'll you know, come out <laughs> exhausted, and the of looks at <laughs> me like it's been me and the dog all day, and I you know I'm super busy. And I'm talking to a million people and on a million Zooms and meetings. And it's just such a bizarre experience, right? Because meeting your team, but not really because no one's in person. I did get out one day in November when I first started. I think it was my first week on the job to see the the national team women row. And to this day, that's, you know, still one of the highlights. But it's it's such a bizarre experience to be doing it all remotely, for sure.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. You're one of the few uh, national governing bodies based on the East Coast. Uh, U.S. Rowing's based in in Princeton, in New Jersey. Is that something that you think will uh, will stay? I mean, would there be any reason to uh, to move or go remote uh, entirely?
1: We're actually moving out of those offices right now. The lease is over. The women are still based there. Well, they're in Chula Vista right now, but uh, mm-hmm. technically the women's team is still based there. But you know, a big portion of the team the staff is spread out around the country and has been working remotely even before COVID. So I sort of inherited that. And I'm entrenched here in New York city and the plan right now, the short-term plan is nothing except for remote until we're out of this pandemic. Uh, I'm in no rush for people to be back in space together. Yeah. And then we're going to reevaluate, you know, what makes, what makes sense for the national team for the junior national team the para teams the staff i just i don't i don't have an answer to that one yet but i think it is interesting that we've all sort of been forced into this massive exp- work from home <laughs> experiment
0: can say i'd be a long commute from you from new york to chula vista if that happens so hopefully uh, yeah never happens to be, could be yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little closer would, to home
1: that would be something
0: well, you know, Amanda, in the, in the time we have left here, obviously you've got a lot on your plate, and I can only imagine what it's like to do your your listening tours you've been doing and just uh, talking to all the many constituents that you have. There are, uh, is there any one thing that you're most looking forward to here in the in the in the year to come once you get uh, a little uh, settled here and, and you know continuing hearing what all of your various uh, stakeholders are wanting from you?
1: Yeah, I think I really I really enjoy progress, and and I'm I'm trying to think of I mean when I was at road New York, I clearly what I enjoyed the most would be going out and seeing a practice and spending some time with the kids. Teenagers are my favorite age category of humans. Um, But I think, you know, from an administrative standpoint, I feel like I will be really happy. And what I'm really looking forward to is progress on, you know, the goals that I put forward for us as an organization in terms of building up the foundation of the organization and getting the right staff in place. I mean, the things that might not sound super glamorous, you know, like I'm not walking in and saying we're going to build a boathouse and we're going to win six gold medals in Tokyo. I'm saying we're going to just get the foundation right and get the, of the organization and get the staff right and get the revenue right. And then I'll feel like then we can get more sort of fun and creative and, you know, <laughs> but it, it so, you know, that's not really super exciting what I just said, but I do
0: think well, uh, we can't do the rest as,
1: until we get the foundation in place.
0: Yeah, As we all know, sometimes being the leader isn't always the most glamorous uh, position, but uh, kudos to you for for taking it on and for, uh, you know, for diving in head first here on everything that you're doing at, at U.S. Rowing. Uh, certainly wish you. And your team, the best of luck with your uh, with your trials uh, coming up. I think everyone's going to be watching to see how, how it yeah. goes. Yeah, uh, your your staff included, but the, probably the rest of the, the Olympic world as well. And and just wish you the the best of luck in the in the years to come. Everything at US Rowing will be watching carefully and looking forward to seeing what you're able to accomplish.
1: Great, thanks so much. Um, yeah, hope to see everyone on the water at some point.
0: Yeah, let's hope soon.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Thank you.
0: This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sports travel magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gowards from Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.